In a city like New York, you can't walk an inch without encountering one of these. A bold little feathered creature that'll either stare you down or snatch a piece of the bagel you dropped. I'm George Bodarchy, and this is Cityscape. On today's show, why pigeons deserve more than to be called rats with wings. Our first guest has the pigeon in the bag, literally. Elizabeth Carlin is a doctoral student who researches urban ecology and evolutionary biology at Fordham University. Elizabeth, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. So let's start off with a game of word association. I say pigeon, and you say? <sighs> Adorable. Adorable. Yeah, they're they're these great city creatures, and maybe at first glance people are kind of grossed out by them or are afraid of them flying towards their face. But once you kind of stop and watch them and watch their behavior, and I think it's it's very intriguing. There's there's a lot going on there. Now you are researching pigeons here in New York City. I, I am. I'm working on understanding how pigeons are evolving in New York City and all along the East Coast from Boston to Washington, D.C. What made you latch on to pigeons as a research subject? I was really interested in urban evolution. So why do some animals do well in cities while others get extirpated or go extinct from from the local city area. And pigeons seemed like this perfect model because they're in cities around the world. And they're in excess abundance in New York City. They're they're kind of everywhere around here, or at least in the the very heavily populated areas. So it seemed like this great model, easy access to these guys. And I had to start teaching myself about pigeons because my training is in mammals. And so there was a, a, a slow process of teaching myself how to catch these birds and starting to observe them and kind of trying to understand their behavior and what's going on. How do you catch a pigeon? I have a couple of different methods. So one is just a walk-in trap where they uh, I put some food out and they walk into the trap. They want that food reward. And that's a little bit difficult because I need to find spaces where the traps can can be set down for usually a couple days before the pigeons get comfortable. Another method that I have is called a net gun. And this is a CO2-powered cannon-like object that um, shoots a net that's about the size of a tablecloth over a group of pigeons. So I'll usually throw down some food and get the pigeons, a, a flock of pigeons to congregate. And then and I'll shoot this net over the pigeons and hopefully catch at least one. I've caught up to 13. Wow, 13 in one shot. 13 in one shot, which is really great because then I get all this data. Now, New Yorkers are not easily sort of taken, right? But what do people think when they see you shooting a net gun and capturing pigeons on the street? So I try to warn people usually before I shoot the net gun. I also wear a yellow safety vest to kind of draw attention to myself. And obviously, if there's any police officers or security guards around, I warn them because it does kind of sound like a loud bang and can be mistaken for something. Although in the city, we're hearing lots of sounds all the time that are, are distracting. I think most of the time people are just weirded out by why I'm feeding the pigeons and why I'm really trying to observe them. Uh, and then I usually uh, I shoot the gun and 
sometimes people freak out or they come over and kind of ask me what I'm doing. I try to invite them over. I want people to interact with this wildlife, these birds that they may have never touched before and might be afraid of. And so um, it's working in the city has really allowed me to do that. And uh, I don't I think New Yorkers are also kind of they're so used to seeing weird things that sometimes they just kind of pass me off. So you capture a pigeon or a flock of pigeons. What do you then do with these pigeons? So after I catch them, I get on, take them out of the net and I put them in individual bags, kind of those bags that you get from Whole Foods or Trader Joe's, because if I have a lot of them, I need to be able to get them all out of the net and then process that each one individually. So they go into a Whole Foods bag. That bag gets clipped so they can't get out. I then, once they're all out, take a weight from each pigeon and take it out of the bag and band it with a band that has my initials and a unique number for that bird. So I'm giving basically each bird a social security number so that I know that I've already caught it before and know where I've caught it before because I write down all that those data. And then I take a little pricket on its wing and get some blood out. And once I've gotten the blood that I need and it stopped bleeding, I let the bird go. So it's a pretty quick process. Once I've caught them, it takes maybe two to three minutes to process each bird. And what are you doing with that blood? What are you trying to find out by taking that blood? So just like when you... um, your blood can tell you about who your siblings are and who you're related to. I'm trying to build that large family tree for New York City and all the pigeons along the East Coast, again, from Boston to Washington, D.C. So by taking that blood, I can kind of determine who's related to who and how big the population is and how the pigeons are moving between these cities if they're moving between these cities. So are pigeons in Washington, D.C. more closely related to pigeons in Baltimore or are they two separate populations? And how far along are you in your research to answer these questions? I'm still in the data collection phase, so I have um, about 450 samples right now, most of which are from New York City, and I'm still going to these other cities pretty frequently to try to sample in them and get these these pigeons out, um, these pigeon samples. And hopefully this fall, I'll be getting those samples into the lab and really analyzing them, extracting the DNA from those samples, and then sequencing it, and then I'll be able to analyze those hopefully soon. Have you drawn any conclusions so far? Not any specific conclusions. I've drawn anecdotal conclusions. So there's definitely something going on in the with the pigeons in Philadelphia. They did not want me to get close to them, whereas New York City pigeons, as New Yorkers might know, will just come up to you. Um, they'll, they're happy to be right at your feet. And if you kind of step towards them, they might jump or fly a little bit out of the way, but they won't go very far. Whereas the Philadelphia pigeons really didn't want to get close to me and they would often fly away when I threw down food. Whereas again, those New York pigeons, if I put down food, they're coming over for it pretty pretty easily. So that was very surprising and made it very difficult to catch pigeons in Philadelphia. Does that relate to flight initiation distance, the common measure of the willingness of an animal to take risks? Yes, it does. And I actually have another separate project going on flight initiation distance. And this is, um, I'm working with a previous undergraduate. He's now graduated from Columbia University, Richard Lai. And he 
spent last summer walking towards pigeons to see how close he could get. And this is a way that we can test how their behavior is in response to humans. And so our hypothesis is that in cities that are very heavily populated by humans and pigeons, you can get very close to these pigeons because they're they're not scared of these humans. And that might be for a couple of reasons. Maybe the humans provide food. The humans uh, might also provide a cover from predators. So you may not know, but pigeons are preyed upon by hawks and falcons that live in New York City. And there, it might be that Pigeons, if they're close to people, the hawk might not swoop down or that falcon might not swoop down and pick them off. So by using people as cover, they could be protected. What is it about pigeons and cities? Why do pigeons like cities? Pigeons are kind of... I think, um, adapting to to city life. So they're, in a lot of senses, they were already pre, pre-adapted to, to live in this area because they're pretty generalist feeders. They previously lived on rocky outcrops. There are, there are native populations of pigeons, wild pigeons, that still live on these, these rock cliffs. And these buildings that we have that we've built up in our cities mimic those same kind of rock cliffs. They they have all these little nesting cavities because we used to design our buildings to be very ornate. We have these AC units that we put on our buildings to cool them off during the heat of the summer. And that just acts as this perfect little ledge for these pigeons to sit on. What can you tell us about the mating rituals of a pigeon? <laughs> I do a pretty mean pigeon mating dance. <laughs> <laughs> so the the pigeons are really interesting. And you, you might have seen it but thought that the pigeons were fighting or maybe didn't know what it was. But the, the male puffs out his chest and um, then circles around the female and kind of does these spins and he'll fan out his tail. Um, And oftentimes she just walks away. Um, But if he's lucky, she'll tolerate it for a little while and um, and they'll mate. And I, I highly encourage all all people that live in cities, if you're watching some pigeons, um, there's a good chance that this is going on if you're watching a flock. And so keep an eye out for it. Now, is it true that pigeons mate for life? They're monogamous creatures? There's been some evidence, um, although that is debatable, that these pigeons do mate for life. And they definitely form these strong breeding pairs. And I think people that keep pigeon coops know that they will continue to mate. Um, there's some question about whether they they do that as well in the wild. Have you noticed a difference between pigeons in different boroughs or different neighborhoods? Are pigeons in Manhattan any different than pigeons in Brooklyn? I haven't noticed specific differences. One of the things that my undergraduate, Richard Lyagan, noticed was that he he saw a lot more of the reddish-orange pigeons in Brooklyn. And we know that uh, Brooklyn is very popular for pigeon racers and people that keep pigeons as hobbyists. And so it might just be that Brooklyn has more escaped pigeons in the area. And maybe those those red brown pigeons are, are more frequently found in that area because of that. Don't pigeons also have amazing visual abilities? They're able to distinguish things, very specific things. They are able to distinguish between things, and that might be part of their homing ability. We don't quite understand why 
pigeons are so good at locating their home if you release them far away. Or if they fly far away, they can fly back pretty easily. Some research has kind of shown that it's probably a combination of factors that's allowing them to come home. Your listeners might be aware of kind of pigeons from World War II era that were brought with uh, with military troops out into the field, into the war zone, and they'd attach messages and then they would release it back and that pigeon would fly and take that note home. And so part of what is making that pigeon so great at that homing ability is likely their vision along with maybe some mag- like detecting the magnetic fields and um, potentially even smell that allow something uh, that allows the bird to home in on that that home coop where it was raised. Now, I understand that you never go anywhere without your sampling kit. True? That is correct. So I recently attended the Science March and the Women's March, and I was trying to pack a very small bag because I knew it was going to be on my feet for a long time. And I was kind of like, ooh, what do I bring? Do I bring the extra charger for my phone or do I bring the, the sampling kit? And the sampling kit won out. It uh, It's always on me. I have it on me in my bag right now. Just in case I come across a dead pigeon, I want to be able to sample it. So if I find a dead pigeon or if someone texts me that there's a dead pigeon or if someone sends me a note on Twitter, um, I will go to that area, find the bird, and then just take off a toe clipping of that bird. Speaking of dead things, and I hate to even ask this question, but what's in your freezer right now? Right now, so let's see. Yesterday I went out sampling, and I haven't been up to the lab yet, so I have about 15 blood samples from pigeons in my my freezer right now. Um, And I have some other birds in there that need to get brought up to lab as well. Next to like the frozen broccoli? I mean, how do you do that? It's not that weird. Um, it's it's on top. So I have two shelves in my freezer and one shelf is just dedicated to specimens and ice packs and the bottom shelf is dedicated to food. And I know ideally that would be reversed um, just in case there's some leakage from the top shelf, but the bottom shelf is bigger and I do have more food in my freezer than <laughs> specimens. The New York Times has dubbed you the pigeon stalker. How do you feel about that moniker? I think it's probably better than the crazy pigeon lady, (laughs) which some of my lab mates have referred to me as. So I'll take it proudly as a badge of honor. I'm happy to to know that I'm the the pigeon person, the kind of go-to pigeon person for New York City. And I'm glad that I can get people excited about pigeons and get them thinking about this wildlife that might be the only wildlife that they interact with on a daily basis. Elizabeth, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you so much for having me. Elizabeth Carlin is a doctoral student who researches urban ecology and evolutionary biology at Fordham University. More about her and her pigeon research at elizabethcarlin.com. Photographer Andrew Garn is also trying to get people to view pigeons in a different light. His book, The New York Pigeon, Behind the Feathers, features unexpectedly beautiful images of a creature many view as nothing more than a rat with wings. Proceeds from Andrew's book benefit the Wild Bird Fund on Manhattan's west side. It's essentially a hospital for sick and injured birds, including pigeons. And it's where I sat down with Andrew to talk about his work. My name is Andrew Garn, that's G-A-R-N, and I am a photographer. 
Uh, so I did the photographs and did some of the writing for the book. Uh, long ago, I decided when I was going to do a book that the photographs were nice and pigeons are so beautiful, but I needed to tell the backstory about pigeons. I needed to tell the history of pigeons, um, the human pigeon connection that's been for over 5,000 years, because I think it makes it a richer story and it brings the photographs more to life. So, what inspired this interest in pigeons? Um, you know, I have a general interest in nature. Um, I do some, a fair amount of hiking, um, and I was always interested in birds, um, but not so deeply. And I just sort of had a premonition or an epiphany, I guess, uh, that I thought pigeons would be an interesting subject. And I spent a day, a full day, photographing pigeons, uh, and I was just totally uh, enraptured by their beauty. As I started to look at them and light them, uh, you know, I brought a little uh, photo studio with me, and as I started to look at them and the iridescence, I mean, you can see in this little cage that we're sitting next to all the variation of colors and sizes and shapes and eye colors, feather patterns. And once I saw that, that was it. And and then we also did some flight studies where we were freezing them in midair to show their wing manipulations, and that was just a whole nother level. So it just it, it just built on that. You know, the fir- first it was a visual attraction, and then it was the uh, historical attraction, the physiology of pigeons, their intelligence. They're very, uh, you know, I, I think they're one of the most important birds, and they're just very rich. So you photographed pigeons not only on the streets but also in a studio. Is this a makeshift studio? Yes. You can see it right there. Basically, it's a backpack and a rolling cart that contains a couple of lights, uh, strobe lights, light stands, camera. I try to take it as light as possible so I can ride the subway. So I basically take the studio to where the pigeons are. How different was that experience in the studio compared to photographing them on the streets of New York City? Uh, It's pretty different. Um, Because in the beginning, I decided I really wanted to get close to pigeons, and shooting them on the street just doesn't really afford you that. I wanted to sort of make them more abstract and treat them like they were models, as if, you know, how you would shoot a model. You You would light them in a studio and just do make them look as perfect as possible and I thought why not with pigeons that said how cooperative were they they're pretty cooperative surprisingly I think once the first flash goes off they are a little bit startled and then they realize you're not really going to do anything you're not going to bring any harm to them and they seem delighted most of them really seem to enjoy being photographed Um, maybe today we'll do some photography and you'll see how they seem to respond to the camera, and some even pose, and they'll prance about, um, they'll lift their head, they'll turn, they're very uh, expressive. So how did you identify your models? Here's a great place to start. The Wild Bird Fund has tons of pigeons, and it's a, you know, they probably have between 100 and 200 pigeons, so there's always some somebody to choose from um, and I'm, I'm still amazed I mean I did this whole book and I've been working on it for 10 years but I'll come in here and my eyes will just pop open by seeing a pigeon I haven't really seen before um, or, or some, something like these particular pigeons are gigantic they're the size of chickens so I mean, that's kind of unusual here's a chicken right here to my right and here's some pigeons they're almost the same size as you can see 
This is one of the more unusual places in yeah. Manhattan, isn't it? It is. It always cheers me up to be here. Um, you can be in the worst mood possible, but you can come here and you're just elevated just to be so close to these birds and also the caring people that work here. It's a phenomenal place. What has surprised you most about pigeons in doing this project? Um, I think what surprised me in general is how different pigeons are from other birds. Um, because they were the first domesticated bird, maybe even the first domesticated animal, perhaps even before dogs, man saw them as a food source, and also they used their poop to fertilize. The Egyptians used pigeon poop to fertilize the Nile Valley, so that was going back 3,000 years ago. So because of that, they, man has been tinkering with them genetically to sort of make them uh, make different types of pigeons. So we have these giant pigeons, uh, we have some pigeons for food, we have some pigeons are bred for flight, some are bred to tumble through the air. Some are, some are bred just for their looks. They can't even fly. They'll have crazy feathers coming up from their neck and around their feet, and it al- almost makes it impossible for them to fly. So in a way, pigeons are the dogs of the bird world uh, because they're very compliant. They get along with man. They're very comfortable around man, as you can see. Um, and that's, that's what has made them so successful in cities. No question your book allows us to see that pigeons are much more diverse than one may think just by viewing the pigeons on the streets of New York. Yeah, absolutely. It's probably the most diverse breed along with chickens. And the reason for that is that man has been tinkering with them um, genetically. Darwin was playing around with pigeons' genetics. Um, The first people to do that were actually the Sumerians, which is uh, current-day Iraq, they bred wild pigeons, which are basically uh, blue bars, they're gray pigeons. They bred them to be white in about 10 generations, and people were just dumbfounded by that. They had never really seen that, where you could change an animal's coloration. Um, so from that point forward, pigeons became, were used in religious sacrifices, for one thing, because they had these magical powers. Of course, they're in the Bible, because Noah released a dove, a pigeon, to find land. And when it first came back, it, it came back to the ship because of the homing instincts, and there was nothing. He sent it off a second time. It brought back an olive branch, showing that the waters had receded, and land was now apparent, and they went for land, all because of a pigeon. That all being said, what do you say to someone who considers a pigeon a rat with wings? Nothing but a nuisance. That's kind of silly. I mean, you have to look at pigeons as being successful because of man. The reason why there are so many pigeons is because people feed them all the time, and unfortunately they don't feed them very well. And as long as there's food, they're going to have babies, like most animals. And because of man's breeding, pigeons can have seven to eight broods of babies a year, which is really unusual in the bird world. Most birds have one brood a year, but pigeons have been bred to have seven or eight, as many as possible, because they were used for food. So, of course, they're going to be successful. Where did you grow up, Andrew? Uh, 86th Street. So you're a native New Yorker? I am. Yes, I am. Not too far from here. And how much mind did you pay to pigeons growing up here in the Big Apple? Um, not too much. To tell you the truth, I was a bit oblivious to them. I knew they were there. Uh, they, I did get pooped on occasionally, did find them a little bit of a nuisance, but I didn't find anything particularly uh, compelling about them. Uh, but it just in general, I don't think I knew much about nature. I didn't see nature that much. And it, it took a, a while um, after being out of the city, living in the country a little bit, I think I appreciated nature a little more.
Is the goal of your book essentially to change perception about pigeons in this city? Absolutely. Um, I look at the book as a public relations vehicle. It's like a calling card for pigeons, and I'm going to make a very small version that pigeons can carry around with them, so if anybody has a disparaging word, they can show the book to people. What are among your favorite photos in this book? Um, well, I think I, I like the cover image a lot. That's Dr. Brown, who's named after a veterinarian who actually found him. And he just has, he, he's just oozing, oozing with attitude, like New York attitude. He's kind of glaring down at you. He's tough, you know, he's puffed up, um, you know, he's street smart. But, you know, deep down, he's sweet, and he's like a pigeon. They're, you know, they're very sweet animals. They're very gentle animals. Um, yeah, so I love the cover image. But I love Apollo, who actually lives here now. He's a white pigeon. He's the opening in the portrait section, and he's so classic. He looks like a Roman bust to me, especially because he's looking off to the side. I mean, he's totally posing. Uh, really hard-pressed to get birds to pose like that, and pigeons really do seem to pose. The book also gives us an up-close image of a pigeon's eye. Their eyes are pretty diverse, too. Oh, yeah. It's actually a whole spread of different eye colors. Um, yeah, there's actually uh, white pigeon, white eyes. It ranges everything from white to deep red, orange. There's actually a pigeon that was here that had lavender-colored eyes, which I've never seen in a bird. And no bird has that range of coloration in their eyes at all. You don't only focus on pigeons in this book, you also focus on the people who appreciate them, the yes. people who assist them. Tell us about some of those folks. Oh, okay. Yeah, I wanted to show, again, the diversity of people. I think that you have sort of a cliche of the old lady that feeds pigeons in the park, and I wanted to sort of dispel that because in, in my observations, I live near a small park, during the day, people from all walks of life feed pigeons. Young people, of course, there are older pensioners, um, and every race of people and all walks of life, poor people, rich people, it's, it's their, I, I think many people find it's their calling to feed pigeons. Um, so I wanted to show some of these people that, you know, I wanted to humanize it a little bit. So, you know, you have the op Jennifer Dudley, the opera singer. Uh, you have Charles Davis, who's the IT professional who comes to the park on his lunch break every day. And he doesn't just feed pigeons. I mean, he loves to hold them, have them go all over himself. And he loves it. And then he goes back to work. He goes back to his corporate job. How different was photographing pigeons for you compared to what you typically have photographed in your career? Uh, it's pretty different. Um, I actually started as an architectural photographer professionally. Um, from there, I, I sort of branched out in magazine work doing portraits, food, interiors, lifestyle, but no animals at all. And it was just something I thought this might be something fun to do. And it really was fun, and it sort of changed my life. Yeah. I love the fact that we have roosters crowing yeah, in the background. It's, nice. it's ambience, a nice ambience. Those are not pigeons, though. We have a very strange-looking pigeon. Uh, pi sorry, that's not a pigeon. That's a chicken. He's bizarre-looking. Wow, he's cool. What about the sounds pigeons make? Did you learn anything about that? Uh, well, they're cooing birds, unlike many birds that sing. They are actually related to dodo birds. Uh, they're small-headed, plump-bodied birds that coo, and they have a direct lineage from dodo birds, which are extinct, of course, which I think is pretty amazing. You also give us a glimpse at a baby pigeon, something that most of us have never seen before because they're pretty elusive. Yeah, well, pigeons like to make their nests, in, as most birds, in a place where... 
excuse me, uh, where predators are not around. So they'll find a window ledge or an air, you know an air shaft or something, and they'll and th- of course, like most birds, they grow very quickly. They'll grow to f- almost full size in about 28 days, whereas a robin will grow to full size from an you know from hatching from an egg like the size of my the tip of my finger to a fledgling in 12 days. Pigeons take a little, the bigger the bird, the longer it takes uh, because they're vulnerable as babies. They, they have no protection, so they have to mature. I mean, that's the miracle of birds. They have evolved so thoroughly that they, they, both the male and the female pigeon feed their young. They make what's called crop milk, and they have a crop in their throat, near their throat, and it's a sort of cheesy, protein-rich substance, and they both feed the pigeon, and it's almost, uh, the baby pigeon, it's almost every 20 minutes. So these pigeons grow fast, very quickly, and then they they have to be ready to fly in in four weeks. I've learned that the lifespan of a pigeon in New York City, on the streets of New York City, is much shorter compared to a pigeon in captivity. Yeah, absolutely. A pigeon on the street lives between one and three years on average, whereas a, a, a pigeon in captivity, about 20 years. So it is a tough life, you know, dodging cars and bicycles, poison, all sorts of things. It's a tough life. That's why I think pigeons deserve a lot of respect. They have a tough life, and they're hardy. They're, they're, you know, I think that people should look at pigeons as sort of a mirror onto themselves. They are New Yorkers, and they, they hustle just like every New Yorker. Look at the way they walk. They're always r- rushing down the street to do something, to go someplace, to get some food, you know. Andrew, thanks so much for your time. Okay, thank you so much. Nice to meet you. Bye-bye. Andrew Garn is a photographer here in New York City. His book, The New York Pigeon, Behind the Feathers, is out now from Powerhouse Books. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Boldarki. My thanks to producer Fiona Shea. And thank you so much for listening.